Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Welcome to Smart Council, Acceptance and the Serenity Prayer. Smart Council provides resources and perspectives to providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Basimio, your host for the day, and where, oh, where is Joshua Moore, your other normal beloved co-host? Well, dear friends, Joshua Moore is practicing that most revered counselor discipline of self-care in Mexico. He is on vacation. We love him, and we're jealous of him, us who are in the rainy, cloudy Pacific Northwest. But fear not, he will be back, and all will be well. In the meantime, I am joined on the podcast by very special guest, Nathan Fordham. Clap, clap, clap. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm very excited to see you, A, because we've wanted to hang out forever, and it's, it's been a while that you're in from the coast, and we can do this. But uh, do tell a little bit, for those uh, unfortunate enough to not know you like I do, what is your corner of the counseling field? What do you do? Where do you do it? What do you love about it? Cool. Um, I'm currently residing on the lovely, lovely Oregon coast in Lincoln City, um, my small little neck of the woods. I work for Lincoln County. Uh, that's a great job. I'm working with um, co-occurring, doing mental health and diagnosis, uh, mental health and addictions diagnoses together, along with some new venture into the uh, problem gambling uh, world as well which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Do, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into problem gambling. My supervisor is really big into problem gambling treatment. I say that very carefully, but he's into problem gambling treatment. <laughs> um, and uh, he basically asked me if I would do it, and I said yes. <laughs> very good, very um, good. But it's been great. It's a really interesting field to work in. How is problem gambling similar to to or different than chemical addictions? There's a lot of parallels, but I think that the big difference is around stigma. Okay. We have a lot of faux pas about money in, in our society and how we talk about money. And, and I think that's a little bit different than we look at, say, alcohol, which is legal, but it still has a different kind of stigma. I know that's not very clear. But I better go where you're talking about. Alcohol is stigmatized and there's dangers to it, but it's legal, it's also enjoyable, and it's a very big part of pop culture. Right. And I think that that's a big difference is is we recognize a lot clearer the obvious um, dangers or risks around alcohol, but we don't really recognize that and talk about that when we talk about gambling. Yeah. So something for us to all learn for sure. Uh, Just what is this gambling world and what goes on there? It's interesting. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, when we talk about drug addiction and you talk about kind of the substance and how it affects the body in that chemical way with gambling, you know, there's not necessarily a chemical that's directly going into your body. And yet there's this drive that still happens. And I think that that adds to the gambling stigma for the gambler because people don't get it. It's like, well, you know, there's it's not like you're addicted to alcohol. There's not a chemical in your system. Just, right. just stop. Right. I think it's similar in that way to another process addiction of sex addiction or porn addiction where, again, you're not putting anything into your body, but your body still becomes addicted, still becomes attuned. Right. There's still chemicals inside your brain being mm-hmm. released, and it's just as much of an addiction as gambling, as alcohol, as cocaine. And I think, I think the sex addiction is very much in a place where gambling was a while back where it's still controversial. And some people don't want to recognize it. And people just say, well, no, you, you, just, you just like sex and you just need to stop. You just need to stop. <laughs> You're just a sinner. You just need to make better decisions. Exactly. But I, th- I think sex addiction will eventually come around to where gambling has, where it's in the DSM. And that they've moved it um, in the DSM-5. And I think that will we'll eventually see that. Yeah. And I think it's a great move. I'm glad that gambling is there. And I, I hope for a day when... Sex and porn show up there as well. Nothing against sex, but, you know, in a healthy way. Right. So as much as we love talking about gambling and porn, Mm -hmm. this was not strictly an episode about gambling or porn, although I think there are some connections because we thought you you pitched this episode, and Mm -hmm. I actually really love the idea that came out of it. 
uh, talking about uh, acceptance and the serenity prayer. Right. And there is a lot of overlap between these concepts and addictions recovery and the recovery Without culture. Without a doubt. So it'll be fun to explore some of those. So before we get into this too much, tell me a little bit more about what is exciting about this topic to you. What brought it to mind as important enough to talk about? Um, I mean, I guess I just, I find myself talking about it with my clients all the time. Uh, so I've been doing counseling work for almost six years now. And acceptance was this interesting discovery for me, if you will. You know, starting out as a new counselor, and you don't know anything. and You're just kind of fumbling through and trying to figure it out. And I started to do that with acceptance. And I started talking to clients about it and started to process it and come to understand it for myself. And I was like, oh, I, I finally have a language for a skill that I've been using my whole life uh, that I've understood kind of on that instinctual level, if you will. And it's really cool to be able to help clients see that and help them gain that tool. You had experienced acceptance in your own life as beneficial and wanted to work with that with clients, but then didn't always have language for it. Right. And now you do. Yeah. Excellent. How, do, how does that play out? Or when you're talking about it, when you're talking about acceptance with a client, mm -hmm. what does that conversation sound like? It, it's actually fairly straightforward. I start off in the same place every time. I ask them what that word means to them. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like that's where we need to start too, is figure out, so what do we actually mean by this? Right. So, Yeah, it's just define this word for me. Tell me, what does acceptance mean to you? I mean, you get all sorts of answers. And I found over six years of doing this that people really struggle to answer that question. I, I struggle with it a little bit. I was thinking about it earlier and thinking, okay, we need to talk about what acceptance is. What do I think it is? Right. Like, again, I have this intuitive sense of it, and mm -hmm. sometimes I'm able to practice it, but then sometimes not. Yeah. So, so for me, uh, what I do for my clients and try to remind myself, so a little insight to me, I'm an oversimplifier. I, I like to take things down to like basement level, to the bottom floor. So if you do that with acceptance, at its most basic definition, acceptance is acknowledgement. That's okay. it. It's just acknowledging that that's what is. You can't see this, but I'm kind of shrugging along and be like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right. Which makes sense. And, that's, and so that's the starting point, though, because if you look at why acceptance is so important to our clients, uh, to us as human beings and to the human experience, it's when we're not accepting it when we're not acknowledging things the way they are, that we run into so many barriers and we get ourselves stuck. Yes. Or like they'll talk about in acceptance and commitment therapy, you cause more problems trying to avoid your problems than by actually just addressing them. Right. Or something like that. Whereas if, you, if one was to be practicing acceptance, it would be practicing more of an acknowledgement of, well, this is reality and I can't accept it. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is the way things are. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what the situation is. This is what happened. Versus if I try to deny that reality, I immediately enter into a conflict or a struggle. So I'll, I'll give you my wall metaphor. Okay. <laughs> so this is, this is my metaphor I use with my clients when I talk about acceptance. And so imagine being in a room, a room with concrete walls, and, but a normal room. And what you want is to get out of the room. But the way that you want to do it is by going through the wall. Mm. Right? This is what we do in our daily lives. We engage in these struggles trying to change things that aren't ours to change. And so I walk them through that, that visualization. Imagine trying to fight your way through the wall. Imagine throwing yourself against this wall bodily over and over again. Pushing against the wall. That sounds like it would cause problems. Right. Yeah, and that's and that's that's what I asked him, you know. I was like, "How do you what do you think you come out of that struggle with, you know?" And you know, everybody can see it. You know, they're tired. Uh, they're exhausted, they feel defeated, they feel powerless. Uh, they're broken, beaten, bruised, battered. Mm -hmm. um, they're drained. And we do the same thing with situations in our lives. We engage in conflict trying to change things that we can't change. I do see that people do that. Right. I, I love that metaphor, and it seems to really 
capture a lot of the realities that there there are just some things that we can't change, uh, but we can potentially change our relationship to those things and how we interact with exactly. them. Exactly, right? And so I help them see another way of conceptualizing acceptance is that acceptance is about disengaging from the fight. It's about letting go of the struggle with that thing. If I can acknowledge that this is a wall, why in the world would I throw myself into it? Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. If I acknowledge that it's a wall, I can acknowledge that the purpose of a wall is to be a barrier. Right. That's what it is. It's it's letting go of that struggle, disengaging from the conflict. Letting go of the struggle, disengaging from the conflict. Right. So, which seems like a really useful concept. I do have questions. Um, <laughs> By all means. And questions that might be coming up for the listener, for the mm-hmm. other practitioner, for the student as well. Because, clever as this metaphor is, most of us are not literally in a cement room surrounded by walls, and the things we're faced with are maybe more colorful than that. Yeah. So say we're faced with a toxic relationship, Mm -hmm. or wages that are ridiculously low, or horrible traffic, or an abusive situation, Mm -hmm. or just the general state of the world. Right. So talking about acceptance in that... In that context, I feel like there, there, there's, there's some ways that people do this badly uh-huh. that kind of need to be addressed. Yeah. And potentially, here's maybe where we could segue a little bit and parenthetically talk about the, the serenity prayer. Absolutely. So do you want to go ahead and read the prayer? Sure. The full text. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's let's, go, the, let's s- treat our listeners to the, to the full text. All right. I, I think that's great. I don't think many people are aware of or have heard the full text. So I right. think it's great. Um, so the full text, um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right. If I surrender to his will, then I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Amen. And this prayer is generally attributed to a Lutheran pastor and theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr. Although this attribution is debatable, and is sometimes attributed to other sources as far back as the Greek philosophers. So it's a little bit of a mystery there. But whatever the case, this prayer has been a deeply beloved aspect of the 12-step culture since the 1940s and is now a common mantra for people in AA and NA in, in those circles along the lines of one day at a time, it is what it is, other phrases like that. But the serenity prayer, especially those first few lines, are notable in that they are very much part of the pop culture, of mm-hmm. re- the pop recovery culture, or the peer-driven recovery culture, I suppose, um, especially with this idea of help me, God help me to accept the things I cannot change and not just accept them, but accept them serenely or peaceably or presumably in a non-bitter, non-hostile way. Right. So... You and I, Nathan, we both have contacts working with addictions, Mm -hmm. working with dual diagnosis addictions, working in the community mental health setting where there's a lot of bad stuff going on and a lot of really difficult situations, a lot of lack of privilege, a lot of lack of resource. And in that, you have people walking through recovery process, whether from an addiction or depression Mm -hmm. or bipolar or abuse or homelessness. And oftentimes, this idea of acceptance trickles in. And it trickles in through often, often. Yes. yeah, and it trickles in through through the the serenity prayer. It trickles in through dialectical behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. You know this idea of radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. So, given given that context of where it's often used, what do you think are some of the ways that acceptance is done badly, or what are some things that acceptance is not? And then you can talk about some maybe some of the healthy ways to practice it. Okay. So I'm trying to follow all your questions. So um, I'll start with things that acceptance is not, because that comes up a lot with my wall metaphor. Um, acceptance is not defeat. Acceptance is not defeat. Acceptance is not giving up. Uh, acceptance is not doing nothing. Okay, none of those things are acceptance. That's one of the biggest misconceptions I've found, is that people are afraid of acceptance because they think of it as defeat or doing nothing. Yeah, they, they'll think of acceptance as a, as a passive process. Yes, 
very much. Yeah. Um, maybe we can segue back around to that later about how acceptance is definitely an active process. Yes. So that's what acceptance is not. So what is it? How is it done badly? Um, I think one of the big ways that is done badly to tie this into the serenity prayer, especially those first, what I call three lines, is to look at the last line that wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. We don't know the difference between the things we can change and the things we cannot change. Or it gets murky anyway. Right. And so the, I guess the first way is that it gets misapplied. We accept things that we should be working to change, and we try to change things that we should be trying to accept. And I feel like another another way that acceptance is done badly is where it becomes like stuffing, where somebody says, oh, I'm just mm-hmm. practice, practicing acceptance, which ends up actually being code for, I'm not dealing with it. Right. Or I have all these feelings, I have this anxiety, I have this depression, and so I'm... I'll, I'm, what I'm actually doing is I'm stuffing it. I'm not. I'm denying the feelings, yeah. ignoring the wound, uh, but I'm saying I'm practicing acceptance because I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And I am being passive. <laughs> and I'm chuckling because I, I read your question about what is acceptance done badly, and my initial response was, "Well, you can't. You can't <laughs> do acceptance badly." And I guess my reaction comes because the things that I hear you saying, they're describing to me. I, I, I couldn't allow my client, I couldn't allow myself to categorize that as acceptance. Fair right? enough. Right? That's, yeah. that's just not acceptance, right? That's defeat. That's, that is standing there, staring at the wall, mm-hmm. and, and pretending like something is going to change or get better, or you know, you're going to outweigh the wall. But that's, it's just, it's not acceptance. And I, I absolutely agree. Like that, that's not acceptance. And yeah, it's fair to say you can't do. Ex- yeah, I would agree too. Probably <laughs> right. like true acceptance is not a bad thing. Um, right. But a, a lot of other bad things get mistaken for for acceptance. Yeah. So so like passivity, like mm-hmm. stuffing, like denial, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other What are some other ways that you see the acceptance concept misapplied, or other things that get mistaken for it? Again, I think the idea that it's passive is one of the bigger ones. Like I use the example in sessions, like clients have this idea that we sit here and we talk about acceptance and we talk about the thing that they're struggling to accept. And it's like this light bulb moment. It's like Eureka. Yeah. You know, because acceptance is powerful and they feel it in the room. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to accept this. I do this. And, they, and like that, that's the end of it. <laughs> like it stops there. Right. <laughs> All of a sudden everything, you know, like a miracle cure. Yeah. Um, and then they get home, and that thing comes up, and it's like, well, crap, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Acceptance like, is worthless. Like, what? I already accepted this. Why is it still a problem? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have to acknowledge that acceptance is a process that we have to continually work at. That, you know, you accept it in that room, you accept it in that moment, and then when it comes back up again, you make that same choice. You go through that same process, and you say, okay, yes, I, I'm going to accept this. Mm-hmm. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. Acceptance is very much like forgiveness in that sense. Exactly. And, you know, we we did another episode on, on forgiveness, and we we came to the the resolution that forgiveness, like acceptance, it can't be just a one time thing because it just can't. It's it's a process. It's a daily, active, rigorous process that you know. With forgiveness, you you sometimes forgive your offender for you know every day for years. Mm-hmm. With acceptance, depending you know on the situation, you work to accept it every day, potentially for the rest of your life, depending on what it is. I think in a lot of ways, forgiveness is a specific kind of acceptance, because forgiveness means that I accept what happened. Uh, I accept that you did that, or that that's who you were, that's where you were in that space. It's an acknowledgement of that's the reality that we went through. Right. But also, I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw out another misapplication of mm-hmm. acceptance, uh, which is similar to forgiveness, too. Neither acceptance nor forgiveness is affirmation or saying this thing is okay. Yes. If I'm accepting this reality, it doesn't mean that I like it or even that I think it's okay. Yes. And it might still be a terrible reality, but I'm just changing how, my, how I'm relating to it. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I, would also, I would definitely say that that is also one of the biggest barriers that I see. Because let's face it, there are things that happen to us as human beings going through the human condition that are they're bad, they're negative, they're horrible. 
Some people will even call them unacceptable. But we have to acknowledge that that's the reality of what we went through, no matter how negative and ugly it is. Mm -hmm. That is the reality. Denying that only creates barriers and struggle. Denying the reality causes the problems or the, the active process of trying to get out of reality that causes problems. In a lot of ways, that is a core of addiction. Any addiction mm-hmm. process is a denial of or even an active refusal of reality. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite definitions of recovery, and I'm sort of making my own paraphrase of it, right. but is that recovery is the relentless, rigorous embrace of an unfiltered reality or being completely present in your reality with no external chemical behavioral aids because you're able to handle it. And, mm-hmm. and I love this idea because it requires that the, that the person have developed an emotional resilience and right. developed a support network to, to be there and just develop the, the inner life, the inner disciplines to say, I can handle my reality. I believe that I'm strong enough or my higher power is making me strong enough. I know how to process it. And, and a person like that, hopefully, uh, is not needing to turn to any sort of unhealthy behavior or substance to filter the reality or mitigate the reality. Yeah. It's, it's escape and avoidance, right? With chemicals, again, we, we, we see that, and that looks fairly obvious to us. You know, we've, we've seen people who are on substances, and we can see that change and that disconnect. But again, to tie it back into the earlier part of the conversation with you know gambling, it's that same process, uh, just minus the chemical. It's a dissociative reality. They're disassociated from their experience, um, and they're just engaged in the process of gambling. They're they're running away. They're avoiding, escaping. Whereas for a person like that, acceptance could then look like saying. I'm going to actually be fully present in my life and accept that this is my life and I have to be there. I have my responsibilities. I'm going to show up for them. I'm going to show up for my job. I'm going to show up for my family. I'm going to show up for my very own feelings. Which I want to acknowledge is hard for everybody. Yes. Yes, (laughs) Every single person struggles with that. It is part of the human condition as far as I'm concerned. Right. But now now that we've said that and we've identified, yes, everybody has problems, I I do want to bring in another variable to to any conversation about acceptance, which is sort of the the social justice power and privilege Mm -hmm. variable. So... So you and me are, are sitting here in this office and we're both, you know, educated, credentialed white males. And so our, our experience of society our, is markedly different than, say, a person of color. Without a doubt. Than women, than, you know, non-binary folks. So, so we can talk about how we, we practice acceptance with our challenges. And admittedly, for us, our challenges are challenging. Mm-hmm. But they're also, like sheathed in these layers and layers of privilege yeah. compared to other people who honestly their challenges are just like 10 times 100 times more than anything we'll ever face mm-hmm. so I feel like we need to address the dynamic of what happens when someone like you or me this super f- privileged person is in the room with somebody who's lacking those privileges and saying oh yeah you just need to accept your life because that's healthy <laughs> um <laughs> So again, and, and I'm I'm reacting partly to your to your delivery, and, and I know that your delivery was not how you would do it in that's a room. True. I'm being intentionally <laughs> kind of funny, flippant, right? Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is it's not this flip, just laissez faire, just accept it, and because again that mentality is that leads to the sense of powerlessness that they're already struggling against due to the circumstances. So let's let's tie it back into the prayer again because when I when I talk about this with clients, I literally go through the prayer line by line and break it down and focus on the key words like serenity, acceptance, courage, and wisdom. The second line, the courage to change the things I can. That's that's kind of the focal point. I think that that's why it's in the middle mm-hmm. is because that becomes central. You know, going back into that room and facing that wall, right? I have to find the courage to change the things I can, right? Remember the metaphor, the f- what I wanted, my original desire was to get out of the room. That still exists, right? No matter what happens to the wall, uh, no matter what happens in my relationship with the wall, 
My desire is still there to get out of the room. Acceptance allows me to disengage from the struggle, to change my perspective, to look around the room, and I just might see that door. Now, I might not like the door. I might have known the door was there the whole time and thought it was a stupid door, and that's okay. That's why I need the courage to change the things I can. I need the courage to use the door that I don't like. I need the courage to do what's necessary. I often replace the word courage with willingness. Hmm, okay. Willingness to do what is needed, what is necessary. Which in a way seems like a kind of acceptance as well. If I'm accepting that the reality is that I need to change or the reality is I have this solution I need to enact. The example I'm thinking of is, say you have a, a person with a, with a physically abusive partner. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that person were to practice acceptance of their situation, I would I'd be really, 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 I'd have a lot of red flags if they thought that practicing acceptance meant just staying with their partner and doing nothing. Admittedly, some people like identify that as their calling, and they and they do it. And, and you know, there's the you know the very you know I'm thinking of from church history um, the story of you know Saint Monica, who is the mother of Saint Augustine. And I'm totally church history nerding out now. <laughs> but um, part of the story was she lived with a husband who was abusive and committed infidelity m- multiple times, and he was just a jerk. The calling she adopted was to to stay in the marriage to pray for him to be that presence of christ in the relationship and i don't remember actually what the result of was for her husband but her son obviously became a saint so 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 that's saint monica and she's saint monica because she's saint monica not all of us are quite that strong all that to say somebody's in a really terrible really violent really dangerous situation and i'm i'm their clinician i'm supposed to be advising them a little bit um i would be really cautious about them saying yeah i think acceptance means for me to just like stay there and do nothing and be battered i'm like uh no 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 no. wait 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 wait. acceptance could mean okay so this is the reality this is my relationship and maybe i love this other person but i would say yeah, love should look like looking after their their long-term best interest, which would probably mean they need to stop being abusive. And right. that might mean you need to do an intervention like call the police, get right. out of the house. I can change my definition or my beliefs around love. I can't change whether he abuses me or not. Right? I have no power over him. I can't stop him. I have no control over him. But I can change my views of what a, a relationship is. I can change my definition of love. I can change my conceptualization of a healthy relationship. And that's really hard. That is hard. <laughs> and it takes courage to do it. Yeah. And maybe the, the changes that take the most courage are the changes that happen inside your own self. So, again, oversimplifying the way that I do. Right. Honestly, I draw a fairly hard line between these two things. There's things you can control and things you can't. The things that I can control are myself. The things I can't control are everything else. It feels like a kind of fair binary. <laughs> it's and, you know, and it's kind of you know, it's kind of the kiss rule: keep it simple, stupid. And you know, it's it makes it a really easy litmus test: is this me, or is this not me? Mm-hmm. If this is me, then I need to look for where I need to exercise my control. If this is not me, I need to accept that I can't control it and, and come back to me and figure out what I can control and what I can do. Yeah. How would you strike the balance between focusing on what you can control inside of you between what you might be able to influence at least outside of you? I don't know that I, I hear you saying just forget about what's outside of you because it's all out of your control. No. 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 Because everything is relational. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a segue, but one of the other huge things I talk to my clients about is, again, the very basic fundamental definition of relationship and what that word means, because it does tie into this. Um, and we need to understand that we are in relationships and that there is input and response. When I'm interacting within a relationship, I input things and I respond to things. I can control my input and I can control my response. Uh, I can't control what they do with my input. I can't control how they respond. I can't control what they input into the relationship, but I can control my interaction. And in that relationship, without a doubt, there's always some 
there's a back and forth. And so there is always some level of influence. Um, but I have to recognize that the outcome, which is the relationship, that is outside of my control. The relationship, any kind of outcome from the interaction is outside of my control. Yeah. And that speaks again of the active nature of acceptance mm-hmm. in a way in that, especially in this relationship context, you're prioritizing what's in your control, what's inside of you, how you're responding to things. Um, but you're also staying engaged in the relationship. You're mm-hmm. not backing away. You're not isolating. You're still making choices about what you invest in the relationship. And that's, that's a very active process. Right. And it's definitely not doing nothing or backing away or just being the doormat. Right. Exactly. So, not accepting looks like trying to change the other person, trying to change the relationship, trying to make a good relationship, a healthy relationship by yourself. Yeah, banging your head against the wall. Exactly, banging yourself against the wall. That's non-acceptance. That's denial. Acceptance is disengaging from that conflict of trying to change the other person, that conflict of trying to change the relationship, trying to make it something it's not. Which is funny and paradoxical in a way because if your focus is no longer on how can I change the other person, how can I bang my head against the wall, but rather how can I change me and how can I just be the best me I can, that does change the relationship. Exactly. Because uh, in, in, a, in, a relation, in any sort of relational system, one element changes, it impacts all of the others. So to tie this back to where we started on this tangent of, you know, in terms of social justice and working with somebody whose reality and level and sense of privilege is not the same as mine, the principle is still the same. People of color in this country cannot change the system. Sadly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a reality, right? Due to the power dynamics and the way things are, that's the reality, and we have to acknowledge that. They can and they have throughout this arduous process of dealing with racism in this country. Have You can see examples of how they have changed themselves, right? Uh, I think Martin Luther King is a good example, Martin Luther King Jr. You know, and I'm not super versed. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, something I'm not. But from what I see and have read and understand, you know, his approach of the peaceful protest, the nonviolent protest, was very much a response of acceptance, of saying, yes, this is going to happen. You are going to be beaten when this happens. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are going to break the law. Mm-hmm. We will get arrested. Uh, we will pay our fines and we will keep going. Because it wasn't about, it wasn't about changing the system. It was about inputting something different it was about being heard mm-hmm. it was about expressing the voice and and i have so much respect because it was a, it's a painful process and it was waiting for their their response to change yeah or you could see where again there, there's these systems and you know it can look like they're not going to change although we hope they do and we and we work for that but you know looking again at, at dr king and again i'm not an expert on his work either although i know a little bit you know, he changed himself, you know, leading, you know, his, his community, the black community to change themselves also in that they gain confidence. They gain, they gain their voice back. They, they recognize, you know, themselves as, you know, bearing the image of God and worthy of dignity and worthy of voice and worthy of value and began working to live into that. And, and I think that has started to change society a little bit slowly and it's painfully slow, Mm -hmm. but our relationship uh, or our interrelationship as a, as a society of, of black people, of white people, of many colored people is, is changing because for sure one group is changing, gaining voice, gaining insight. And so that is by by default going to impact everyone else. And it'll take a long time for some people to, you know, get in line with that, sadly. But but again, it, it's, it's a, that systemic approach of, you know, one person accepts the reality, learns to thrive within it some way. And... Right. That then that impact then carries over to the other elements in the system, right? Although slowly, right? You just draw maybe a strange parallel. I can't change the system either. Me myself, I I cannot change the system. I have to accept that. But what I've tried to do is change myself. I've I've tried to listen better. I've tried to hear. I mean, my understanding and views of race and racism have changed greatly, and and 
the first thing I had to do was accept the reality of racism is still a thing, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Racism's <laughs> a thing. I'm a racist. <laughs> I try right. not to be, but I am. Right. You know, I mean, just understanding the simple fact that white privilege is a thing. I'm white. I have that. You know, I could have very much fought, tried to fight against that and deny that. Uh, I would say that the that points in the process, I'm sure I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the first time I ever heard the term white privilege, I didn't say, oh, yeah, that's cool. I've got that. <laughs> I highly doubt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but having accepted that reality, you can now lean into that and thrive mm-hmm. in it and and find ways for you to change within that, which will then lead to you changing the system around you, your family around you, your clients around you, your friends around you. Without a doubt. So with these thoughts in mind, so maybe let's put a cap on this and talk about what is acceptance done well or what is the the healthy of the ideal process of practicing acceptance that's not passivity that's not resignation that's not denial or emotional dismissal and and that's a great question i've never really pondered it in that way um and so i'm trying to do it in the moment here with you and i think a big piece of it is perseverance it's enduring it's that process of coming back to it every time and continuing to make that choice over and over because it's hard. It, it, it's, it's hard to go through that process of sometimes often slow progress Yeah. of, okay, I accepted this, but I don't really feel any different yet. Yeah. Or I accepted this and it's still bad. Yeah. And I feel like another element and it, and it layered over the perseverance, which absolutely must be there, is this idea of grieving or even lament. And mm. I know, I hear, I hear, I hear this talked of when listening to people of color talk about racism and you know their experience of that. You know, they talk about we need a more robust concept of lament in our society for injustices that persist and wrongs that are going on mm. and suffering that exists. And yeah, maybe maybe lament is a little bit more appropriate than grief because. Grief talks a little bit more about a transition. I mean, you could. I mean, I was, I was originally thinking, yeah, uh, it's appropriate to grieve. This is my reality, but maybe that's a little bit more like lament because it's like I'm lamenting. This is my reality, and it's not going away. It's not changing. And again, acknowledging, I feel really bad. I feel, I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel terrified about this, uh, and that's that's the reality. Yeah. And I'm persevering, persisting in that lamentable situation. You know, it's really interesting that you bring up grief. I not that long ago got certified in the grief recovery method. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, and and I and I love that work. And it has to do with loss, and it's changed the way that I look at loss and grief. And there is a big piece of acceptance there tied with grief and recovering from grief. We get stuck in grief by refusing to accept those losses or not recognizing or acknowledging which, as we said, is acceptance, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. If I can't acknowledge that loss, I can't accept it, and, and I can't move forward. Yeah. You know, I've never conceptualized lamenting before, so that's new for me. Yeah. It's a newer concept for me as well. I would venture to speculate it has something to do with, again, acknowledging these are my feelings, mm-hmm. whereas we talked about acceptance done badly or, or not acceptance is where you, you don't acknowledge your feelings, yeah. you don't acknowledge the hurt, you don't acknowledge the wrong and you just kind of deny it throughout some flippant phrase of like, Oh, it is what it is. Right. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. (laughs) I'm average. Mm -hmm. Uh, without actually feeling the feelings or processing the feelings or like, you know, grieving, lamenting that you're having these feelings that you're in the situation. Yeah. And I feel like a healthy person who is, you know, speaking in the truth and love and truthfully, honestly facing their own reality will acknowledge if they have a bad reality or a bad situation. So I'm I'm gonna I don't want to minimize the significance and the difficulties of some of the things that we're talking about, but I'm gonna bring in maybe a little bit uh, softer analogy that I that I use in the room. Okay, and and that's the experience of being dumped. Okay, right. So you get dumped. There's that rejection, and it hurts. Yeah, right. And and I draw this parallel process with my clients of what it looks like uh, for somebody who is in denial that refuses to accept that. Um, versus somebody who does accept that. Both people experience hurt and pain, but the person that refuses to accept the end of that relationship continues to suffer. Mm, 
Yes. Right. They cause they they cause their own pain on top of the pain of the dumping to the extremes of you know the person who the, the, leaving their phone number in your phone, Facebook stalking, um, you know, actual stalking, you know, not moving on, right? Versus somebody who accepts it still hurts, but in that process, healing happens. And so they go through that process of deleting the phone number, acknowledging that being Facebook friends with them hurts too much, it's not good for me, I can acknowledge that, and so I can unfriend you so that I can move on and I can heal. In that case, it almost sounds like acceptance is kind of the process of, of, of uh, allostasis, uh, where or different, different than homeostasis, which is the system's attempt to return to balance, whereas allostasis is the more longer-term phenomenon where the system adjusts to a new reality, which in chemical addictions means developing tolerance, and that's bad, but... In a in a in the sense we're talking about in the acceptance sense, it's recognizing okay, my reality is new. Mm-hmm. I need to adjust to that long term, or my external reality is much different than my internal reality, and I can't pretend otherwise anymore. I have to adjust and, and face it. And so that could look like making changes in how you think and how you speak and how you perceive, uh, how you believe, and carrying those out. Absolutely, I, I like that. Because that's exactly what it is. Is I mean, this was my reality. We were together. This is my new reality. We're not. Yeah. You know, and that can be a hard transition. That can be super hard. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking again in more practical terms of what helps acceptance. I feel like there's a significant component of this that is individual work that is inner life that mm-hmm. the person needs to do, but doing it in community or with some relationships, some supports mm-hmm. would. A huge help. Yeah. Um, obviously, a, a person outside of me can't do my acceptance for me or cannot facilitate my inner life for me. But if I'm able to process with another person, right. it makes it more real, makes it richer. Someone's bearing witness to my pain. Mm-hmm. Or I have somebody outside of me who can reinforce to me the new reality that I'm trying to adopt. Right. The, the opportunity to be vulnerable with that pain, the opportunity to um, you know experience empathy. I have that pain acknowledged. That helps reinforce the reality. Oh, you can you can see that I'm hurting too. You can see what I'm going through. That reinforces that new reality. Yeah. So I think a couple a couple last important cautions, I suppose, about this or other other factors to think about. As I'm th- I'm thinking for the clinician who's walking through an acceptance process or a grieving lament process with a person. A all the, all the we've been talking about all these things, all these processes as you know, things we can do, and I feel like it's Im- been implied, but it hasn't really specifically been said as much that it just takes a long time sometimes, or it takes a an unspecified amount of time that's different for every person. And I think that that's the hard part is yeah. it takes an unknown amount of time. Yeah, it's going to be different for each person. It's going to be different for each experience. Some things are easier to accept than others. Let's acknowledge that reality. Right. And so don't compare one situation to the other and say, well, well that was so easy to accept. You know, you yeah. know, why I, is this so hard? You I know? get over my being dumped. Why can't you get over your being dumped? Right. Yeah. Well, and even with yourself, it's like, well, you know, getting over my first girlfriend in high school, that was super easy. But my divorce of 30 years of, from my, you know, marriage of 30 years, that's a different ball game. <laughs> that's true. So, so yeah, so there's a lot of, individual context factors for each person that determine, again, what is the impact of the thing you're trying to accept and how long will it take? It'll take a different amount and we have to just be okay with that. I think the other really important factor though is that acceptance has to be chosen. Kind of the same as forgiveness. If I try to mandate or regulate or oblige you to forgive your abuser, that, that, that in itself is abuse, I feel like, right. to try, try to regulate that. Or, again, for me to speak to somebody and say, you need to practice acceptance. You need to radically accept your awful, awful situation. Right. It's the equivalent of saying deal with it. For sure. And that's <laughs> not at all helpful. It never has been helpful. Right. Um, and I'm thinking, so I'm thinking back to, I, I referenced St. Monica back in the third or fourth century. My guess is, you know, for her to choose the path that she did, that was her choice. Mm-hmm. And 
my guess is she came to that choice after maybe a long time of mulling over it, pondering over it, suffering through it, maybe trying to get out of it. But eventually, like the resolution she came to for herself was, yes, this is the call that I feel God has been placing on me and I am choosing to embrace it for my own self. And I feel like that's that's also something that needs to happen too. I would, I would, from the outside, say, yeah, I think acceptance is an aspirational value everyone should hold for most situations, but I can't force it on anyone. It has to be something they pick for themselves, and then once they pick it, then I can walk with them in it, but until they are ready to accept the reality of whatever the reality is, then me trying to just make that okay for them isn't going to help, or me saying, oh, you stop fighting, just accept it. It's supremely unhelpful. And that's, I'll be honest, that's a challenge as an accept, uh, as a counselor, because I, I think all my clients need acceptance. I think everybody needs acceptance. <laughs> yeah. I think the world would be a better place if we all just did a better job with acceptance. Right. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. That, and, and, you know, hearing you say it, it's like, well, yeah, that's obvious, Nathan. Uh, you can't force people to accept. Um, and I acknowledge that. And I think that that's why I talk about it the way I talk about it with my clients and, and I use the metaphors um, and I use the examples I used to show them the contrast of acceptance versus denial mm-hmm. so that they can, so that they can make that choice so they can recognize that they're making that choice, you know, present to them the reality that they do have a choice between denial and acceptance. Cause I don't think, many of them have ever even seen that as an option, as a choice that they can make. I think that's just so helpful in finding the choices for people, especially mm-hmm. like if you're stuck, if you're stuck in that cement wall, cement, cement-walled room, <laughs> that place, uh, really, you know, it would be easy to say, I have no choices, I'm just stuck here, I'm just bitter. Yep. But discovering any choice you have in there, even the really difficult and probable ones. Yeah. Is just it's a seed of hope. Yeah. Just, I mean, even recognizing the reality that you have a choice to take a step back from the wall. Even if that's all you can do is just take one step back from the wall, that's a choice that you can make. But when you're so engaged in that struggle with the wall, all you see is the wall. You can't see that choice to even just step back. Last sort of question. So we, we talked about the serenity prayer mm-hmm. a little bit. What are some ways you might specifically incorporate that prayer, that prayer into uh, an acceptance practice? Um, well, I think the first step and what I try to do with clients is to help them. I think many of my clients are familiar with it. I don't think I've run across a client who hasn't at least heard the term serenity prayer, even if they can't say it, they're aware of the, that it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and even a lot of the ones that can say it that's kind of where it stops is they're able to just say it and it feels very rote. And so that's why I break it down with them so that it takes on a new meaning so that they have an actual context uh, for what they're saying. Because again, it's, it's a prayer. It's grant me. It's a request, right? So what is it we're asking for? We're asking for serenity. Why are we asking for it? We're asking for it so that we can accept so that we can accept the things we can't change. And then we're asking for courage. Why? Well, again, we're asking for courage so that we can do something. There's verbiage throughout the whole thing. It's not, it's not a passive prayer. We're asking for things in order to do things. I need wisdom so that I can know the difference. Well, wisdom, in my definition, is knowledge applied. Mm-hmm. I need to know what to do with what I know. So the whole, the whole, the heart of the, the heart of the prayer is really seeking to join into a really active process again, yeah. an active process of inner, inner work that also is bleeding over into external work. Um, yeah. And it seemed like earlier you talked about how you played with the wording a little bit, you know, subbing in and out a couple of different words. Uh, and I really liked that idea um, because it seemed like what, what, what I recognize, you know, this is a prayer, you know, not everybody prays. Right. And, you know, I know uh, a major hang up a lot of people have with the 12 step culture is the idea of God, the idea of right. power, the idea of powerlessness. Yes. So, and I think acceptance as a concept would, would be useful for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that the serenity prayer has some religion triggers for, for some people. Right. Is that, is the serenity prayer tool you've used with 
uh, non-religious, non-spiritual clients? Or I've how used you it with that? pretty much every client. Um, if I've got a client who, if I don't know, I will just start with Grant. And that usually, I haven't run into any issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I just start with Grant, and then we can focus on the concepts, mm-hmm. and so they don't have a barrier that they get hung up on. That makes sense. Focusing on the aspirational values of what it is. Right. I'm seeking serenity. I'm seeking courage. I'm seeking wisdom. Because, I mean, the reality is, is that no matter what your religious or spiritual practice is, whether it's Christian or Muslim or Baptist or Seventh-day Adventist or atheist, it doesn't matter. The words still have meaning. And if we can take the meaning of those words and the principle that they're teaching us and apply, we can change our own context of life. For sure. And regardless of belief system, value system, Mm -hmm. these are still concepts we have to deal with. Like we still have to figure out what can I change? What can I not change? How do I deal with the stuff that I can't change? Um, Everyone from every belief system still has to answer those questions. Yep. Without a doubt. And that's just the reality that we're going to accept. We're going to accept it. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and call it there. But uh, thank you, Nathan, for being here on the show with us and checking all the way in from beautiful, faraway, mystical, magical Lincoln County. Awesome. It's been great. Cool. Well, I hope to have you back sometime. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good night. You Please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback, and let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at Smart Council 601, and you can email us your questions and comments and feedback at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Joshua Moore can be found on the web at neurofeedbackcare.com, and Reese Basimio can be found on the web at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Basimio and Joshua Moore.